all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. <laughs> and I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. We've double re-reversed our reverse bad thing. We uh, reverse retroed. <laughs> Retro, yes. As the, as like the, the NHL as jerseys. As the new line of NHL jerseys, which <laughs> yeah. some teams have already worn. And I watched the, I, honest to God, I watched the Kings highlights last night specifically because they were wearing their reverse retro jerseys. I'm like, those look, those look fresh. <laughs> Very LA. What is the what does it look like? It's their like eighties to early two thousands logo, uh, with their original colors, which were uh, purple and gold. Okay. So, you're... and uh, the the top is gold. Okay, you're a big fan of jerseys. I do. <laughs> you I, like I, a good outfit. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> I only recently discovered I like abstract art. I, That's I true. Yeah. I don't know why. I just it's for some reason it's appealing. Do you think it's colors is part of it? Probably. You're kind of. You like those bold colors. And yeah, that probably has something to do with it. Yeah. But, uh, yes, I can't wait for Whaler's Night, which I think is in two weeks. Okay. Two weeks from tomorrow. Okay, with nobody in the stands. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cardboard yeah. cutouts in the stands. Yeah. <laughs> and the EMS workers going nuts over an overtime goal. <laughs> they're the only ones there. They're the only ones standing there. <laughs> well, hey, that's actually pretty cool for them. I know. I was like <laughs> exclusive. Yeah, when uh, I think it was Nietzsche's that scored that overtime goal when they mm-hmm. won one to nothing last week. Okay. You just saw, you could just see the two EMS guys standing there because they're wearing bright yellow coats because they're right, yeah, EMS. Uh-huh. And he scores, and they're like, "No, oh. <laughs> that's so cute. That's fun. <laughs> Good for them." Um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us All Bad Things Pod at gmail.com. Yes, that. <laughs> um, I learned of something today called Castbox. I believe. Oh, okay. I believe it's an app, isn't it? Yes, I believe it's a podcast listening app. I think I have it. Okay, that people can leave comments on. Okay. And I can reply to. Oh, don't. <laughs> no, that's I not. I did. Let's not go down that. I did. It was great. No, no, no. Very short. Mm-hmm. Funny, not being digging or mean on mean on people. Um, somebody uh, said, <laughs> which granted we did say to fuck off if you didn't like our politics. Um, this person took exception to that and said, um, "People like you are ruining the country. Just wait until communism is all what we're under." And then, <laughs> yeah, because we're know. we're so close to communism. And so my response was. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sorry we ruined life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, someone else uh, complained no fewer than four times in very odd, like, typing. I don't know. Um, It's possible English was their second language, so I don't want to mock them. But um, uh, that... Their, their main problem with us is that we swore because they listened to our podcast with the, their young children. And I said, uh, no, well, please don't do well, that. Well, probably shouldn't, just for the material at hand. I, well, that's the thing. I was like, okay, <laughs> let me get this straight. You're complaining about cursing. I mean, if, you, if you want to, I mean, that's that's up to you. You're but. explaining about li- you're complaining about us cursing on a podcast about 
disasters that is marked explicit on every platform and literally says trigger warning for everything possible at the yeah. top of every episode. I don't know what to tell you. So apparently saying fuck triggered that person. They also, uh, yes. <laughs> they also threatened to uh, call the FCC on us, which is fun because I'm That's, not sure what that I would mean. I don't think, yeah. <laughs> they don't have we any, are we're not explicit I was and we say, are not covered as communication and over airwaves. I was going to say, and we're not on public airwaves. Right. People are literally have the choice to listen to us or not. Right. So that we literally have nothing to do <laughs> exactly. with the FCC. <laughs> so that was fun. That was fun. Um, so it was fun just getting to do nice little jabs at the meanies. And I, I love how people think, some people in this country think communism is right around the corner. I know, it's hilarious. When, when not even a year ago, we gave Wall Street $4 trillion, uh... while at the same time we're deciding whether to give people, regular people who lost their jobs through no fault of their own, any money at all. Mm-hmm. So if you think that's very close to communism either you just don't know what communism communism is right which is possible because a lot of people don't understand communism and a lot of people purposely conflate it it with other things yes and make it seem like it's something it's not no we uh we just proved four weeks ago that we're around the corner from fascism yeah not communism (laughs) yeah and if you think those two things are the same well then i just can't help you exactly Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say exactly wrong? I apologize. Excuse me for living, as they used to say. Like, didn't they? uh, Or uh, what was it? Well, excuse me. That was Steve Martin, wasn't it? That's going back a little ways. A little bit. Yeah. Um, Someone else was like, uh, I forget what it was. They got offended by something and they're like, I'm unsubscribing. And I I just commented, bye. (laughs) Yeah, see? It's so fun. Just know it's that. No. Because of all the times I can't respond, I appreciate being able to. And then someone else did the the standard, this would be such a great podcast if you didn't have all the other um, conversation. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you go ahead and do that podcast? (laughs) It's tax season too, have I mentioned? (laughs) Yes, that's right. That's That's where this is coming from. Don't poke the bear, please. Oh, yeah, like filing's still not open (laughs) for individuals. (sighs) So what are we talking about this week? So what are we drinking first? (laughs) I'm having the favorite national local beer. Of course. And you is having? I is having a local, local beer. (laughs) Lone Rider uh, Shotgun Betty, which is a Hefeweizen, right? Yes. Pretty sure. Yeah. Hefeweizen. Ales for Outlaws, yes. Um, still have never been to Mm-mm. Lone Rider. No, I haven't <laughs> They're either. just in our city, so that's kind of funny. Um, after, quote, after this is all over, end quote, whatever that means, we should uh, go to all the breweries we've not been to. Oh, yes. Locally, that For place. sure. Mm. <laughs> all right. So you have... You have uh, Pass the mantle on to me for yes. part two of the uh, Bazaar de la Charité fire of 1897. Yeah, I think it's more fun when we do flip flop multi multi parters to yeah. Well, we, we rarely get the chance to because we're each researching. Yes. So this is a listener script that we're and uh, of course uh, written by the uh, our resident author. <laughs> Artur. Artur, yes. Uh, Lee Hutch, uh, author of uh, So Others May Live. Um, 
wherever you get your fine books. <laughs> it, 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 you you can purchase your, it there. At all your fine retailers. <laughs> yes. Um, and author of the upcoming Molly's song. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I love that Lee puts in director's notes. <laughs> Re- n- so this is a director's note. Recap previous episode and remain and remind the listener where we are and how the fire started. Can you do that for us? Sure. Oh, you're. I, I thought <laughs> I thought you were still reading his. No, oh, okay. I'm asking you. Well, we are at. Um, so. There's a stage this show. This is where we get to see no, if no, we no. remember what we've talked about yeah. a week ago. <laughs> I'm just trying to where exactly I want to start with right. where we gotcha. went, with where we ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a stage show. Three gentlemen are behind a curtain trying to light a new lantern, but there's also ether in the air, so it's right. it accidentally starts a fire. Right, but uh, to but pan in, out a little bit more, we're in Paris. We are, and we are inside a huge bazaar. Right. A charity, charity function. Bazaar. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that is an enclosed space with... Smaller than a football field, we determined, right? Yes. Uh, uh-huh. uh, shorter and... Narrower. Uh, and more narrow. And not only are there just flammable objects <laughs> everywhere in the building... Clothing. Everybody's clothing. <laughs> like, people themselves are actually... Flammable. Flammable. Mm-hmm. So, fire accidentally in an enclosed area. We've been here before. Yes. It's not going to be the last time we go here, I'm sure. This this kind of reminded me of the Cleveland Clinic fire a little bit. Yes, a little bit. Because it's about, like... um, chemicals used for film Th- mm-hmm. that was for that cleveland clinic was for imaging right it was like uh x-rays and it was stuff? It w- okay it was x-rays and, this and, is uh, film. and because of the way the ventilation system works mm. and because of how toxic that stuff was a lot of right. people suffocated right. right fumes that's right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean a lot of people died from the fire itself but right. most people died because of the well and that happens so much in a fire mm-hmm. anyway is that yep. a lot of people just die from, the, mm-hmm, from asphyxiation first um this is funny because that kind of all reminds me i played through rusty lake hotel for the first time which is like a five-year-old game it's a point and click game okay um i, I thought it. you were talking about a song oh no <laughs> At the rusty lake. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that is a song if we if we put it into Spotify. <laughs> right. Um but it's a it's a point and click game. It was actually really nice to play on the big, you know, desktop computer. It's a nice little unwinding. It was on sale on Steam for like $2. But it is about you play somebody who goes to this hotel and has to kill all the guests. Nice. one by one and they're all animals like humanoid animals kind of so you're killing them for their meat and then serving it to the rest <laughs> uh, it, it's sounds like a real hoot yeah but one of the ways you kill uh one spoiler alert in case you haven't p- played um kill one of the creatures miss miss pigeon i think is by taking a picture of her but having it rigged up to you pose her with a gun to her herself and then by taking the picture it like forces her to shoot herself anyway i don't know why i went on that very dark digression but i thought it was a good game i'm interested in playing the sequels so all right so yes they're in a moving picture show yes correct um and the lamp on the projector was oxyetheric it ran on a mixture of oxygen and ether. I'm just kind of 
looking in the last couple paragraphs. Um, and the picture suddenly goes away as the bulb burns out. They assure you that they can easily refill the bulb and continue on with the show. Um, but the fumes had either been leaking into the atmosphere or the ether fumes, not ether fumes, ether fumes have been leaking in the atmosphere. They struck a match. Mm-hmm. Boom. There we go. All right. So the fire has started. Um, and it has caught on all the decor because not oh, only yeah. are the people just, yeah. <laughs> flammable. Let's just all hang flammable the, stuff exactly. everywhere we can. Yep. We've never heard how this turns out. Yep. All of this is happening behind a closed curtain. And so you have no idea until you hear one of the men frantically shout fire. It's 4.30 in the afternoon and you are about to find yourself trapped in a hellish nightmare. So that's where we left off. So we're going to pick right up. At first, workers tried to assure everyone that the fire would soon be put out, but it quickly became apparent that would not be the case. The fire eagerly fed itself on the combustible materials used to build the interior like a hungry man might devour a meal. This is how you can tell Lee's an author. (laughs) A freely burning fire with plenty of fuel and oxygen can double in size every 30 seconds. Just a quick reminder, remember Lee is a former firefighter and arson investigator, so... He knows from whence he speaks. So once it really gets going, it can move faster than the average person can run. I don't think I knew that. That's a little scary. That's scary as hell. Uh, it can outrun you. Fire yep. can outrun you. Ooh. As soon as the flames reached the tar-covered canvas ceiling, it starts to run the length of the building. Panic ensues. People stamped towards the exit. The building actually had seven exits, but... N- Oh my goodness, none were marked. <laughs> and all contained inward swinging doors. This mm-hmm. is 1897 after all. Naturally, people ran for the only one they knew, the main entrance. Again, of course. That's a just a You go out how you came in. It's just like That's the whole your... know your exits, mm-hmm. right? Like legit. Know them. Know all of your options because the most obvious may not be the best. Right. So And Building code today, there are exit doors everywhere, pretty much. Many, well, for the most here, part. there was seven yeah. swinging in? I know, yeah. So, yeah, if you hear something, if you're in a public space, you hear something, just literally just take a quick two or three second scan, either when you come in or yes. if that situation occurs, you'll probably see an exit sign within just mm-hmm. that little scan that you do. It's. I honestly think it's not a bad thing to get in the habit to and do anywhere you are. And that's why you have exit signs. Yes. So you know where you. to go mm-hmm. in case of something like this. Right. In they had the right. Times. They had the right idea with. Oh, we've got seven exits. It's safe. But which was for eighteen ninety seven probably was. Yeah. Considered uh-huh. safe. Mm-hmm. But they hadn't figured out the whole. You know the doors should probably open Turn out. Into, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we might want to put up a sign just letting people know. Where where the exit is. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's a... There's two things. So just any time But that would be too communist. (laughs) Well, good, because we should get used to living in a communist country that we are bringing about clearly, because we're so close. (laughs) I can't even say that with a straight face. Um, But that is the thing. Like, when you are out somewhere, you know, when we go out again. (laughs) Yeah, if we ever go out again. Um... Do always do a quick 
just note of where your exits are. Also, places that you go normally or like your house have an exit plan. Like I've always thought like, because we, like, we're recording in our bedroom now, like what if there was a fire out in the living room mm-hmm. and I have to get out, well, we've got these windows, yeah. you know, I've, I've got an idea and fortunately we don't, we're not like on a second story where it wouldn't be, it would be unsafe no, to go. To, but, to jump if we had to. But when I was, and that's the other thing, if you've got kids. So when I was a kid, my parents, every house we lived, we put those told stickers, us. We put stickers on oh. our window. Oh, that's smart. It was. Uh, like, this is your escape window? No, it was for the firemen. Like, mm. so they knew where the kids' bedrooms were. Oh, that's smart. I can't remember what they were called. Huh, like hot finders, I think they were called. <laughs> That but sounds funny, something but yeah. like that. I mean, it's it that makes sense. That makes sense. But my parents always would come up with like a okay, if there's a fire, you go to this window. We will be there, and we will catch you when you jump down, sort of a thing. Like there was a there was an escape plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom was raised in a household with a firefighter, so that was that was just kind of part of it. So survivors would speak of the weight of the crowd literally lifting them off their feet. Oh, this yeah. is partially crowd I was crowd just going to say, so you know some people are going to pass away yeah. from a crowd crush. And carrying them along like an ocean wave. Some fall onto the ground and are trampled to death. Oh, this is a crowd disaster slash fire. Ugh. The air is filled with screams and the roar of the fire as it consumes everything. Molten tar and bits of burning canvas drip down onto the heads mm-hmm. of the crowd. Yeah. This this reminds me of the Cro-Magnon with the uh, plastic webbing that started dripping on people. It Oof. reminds me of the movie, uh, the original version of the movie, uh, Carrie. Mm. The if blood. Anybody, if anybody's seen the end of that. I don't want to spoil it in case nobody's seen it. It's a 1975 movie. I, not 75. I want to say like 78 or 70. Okay. It might be 1980. But anyway. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Okay. So if you have not seen that, if if you consider yourself a horror movie fan, if you're like 20 years old and you're listening to this and you have not seen that movie, oh. go see that movie. Absolutely. That's a classic. Yes. <laughs> With a terrible ending. I think that's the only Stephen King novel I've ever read, too, is Carrie. I never read that one. That was his very first. What Did he not do the Bachman books prior to that? He was kind of doing that here and there. Okay. That was his first, I believe that was his first published novel under the Stephen, Stephen King, King name. King. Okay. One of the most prolific writers, man. All right, now. <laughs> Speaking of a prolific writer. Yes, exactly. The air is filled with a different sound. It's not the screams of panic that you hear. It's the screams of a person on fire. Mm. Dear listeners, I pause here to say that it is my most fervent hope that you never have to hear the sound a person makes when they are burning alive. I have, and though it was many years ago, the scream is still echoing in the deep recesses oh, of my mind. I, yeah, I bet. The crowd piles against the main entrance, but the weight of the crowd keeps the inward swinging doors from opening. Mm-hmm. There we go. Women scream the names of the children who have become separated from them in the crowd. Others beg for rescue. Some begin to recite a Hail Mary, which says at the end, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ooh, yeah. And for at least 126 people, that hour had come. Despite the crush at the main doors, some were able to make it out in the early minutes of the fire. Some were unharmed, but others had clothing or hair on fire. As one newspaper account reported, quote, As the flames commenced to shoot up and round the charity bazaar, frenzied women, for the most part in light costumes, escaped from the furnace, uttering cries of fire. 
The faces of several of them were covered in blood. From time to time, a little girl ran out crying for her mother. A number of women of the poorer classes standing in the crowd at the risk of burning themselves tore the burning clothing in pieces from the persons of the ladies as they dashed in terror into the street. Jesus. Wow. And Lee did warn us that most of the mm-hmm. victims were women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One particularly chilling account tells of women who made it out <coughs> excuse me, of the building screaming in pain on the street, yet there were no obvious injuries on their bodies. The reason is that though their outer clothing, clothing was intact, their undergarments were on fire, no doubt ignited by burning material on the floor. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. People milled around yelling the names of loved ones. Others sprang into action in an attempt to rescue those trapped inside. The cook and manager of the nearby Hotel du Palais managed to breach a wall and pull 150 people to safety. Man. Nice. Two Catholic... That's fucking crucial. That, just, it could like have been whole, over 300 people. Just every, everything everybody's doing up to this point. I mean, this is, again, when seconds matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tearing the clothing off somebody that's on fire. Right. You know, just something you could as save their as, life. Yeah. yeah. Especially back then, when mm-hmm. I'm sure the treatment for burn victims oh, is not. Oh God! I don't even want to know what it, what it would have been. I, it's. I mean, it's. It's brutal it's now. Brutal today. It's br- horrible. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. brutal and very painful. Yeah. Even like the most advanced treatments are incredibly painful. Yeah, I do not want to be a burn mm. victim in 1897. Ugh, no. Or in any year. Yeah, at any matter. point, but yes. Two Catholic priests rescued 30 people. Though the public disagrees, ask any firefighter and we will all tell you that we are not heroes. We just do a job. That's it. In fact, one of my helmet stickers says, quote, I ain't no hero. I'm a fireman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The others included, (laughs) quote, God bless the ghetto, quote, and an Irish flag. (laughs) That's so Lee. Yes. (laughs) I humbly submit to you that people like... Those two priests or the hotel employees are the true heroes. They did not have a job that required them to risk their life to save others, and yet that's exactly what they did. Look at every disaster, and you'll find ordinary, everyday people springing into action to try and help. They are the heroes. I appreciate that from Lee. I would say... I'd say he is. (laughs) Well, what I'd say is that people who are, for example, firefighters, EMS, like that, they're, they're... taking on a deliberate heroic job occupation yes. they're choosing an heroic effort but i do get what he's they're saying they're choosing a very fucking difficult job yes to help people <laughs> yes and i would call that heroic but i also see what he's saying here in terms of people who are not expected to like firefighters are also expected to do this yeah like that's their job right people like who the, risk like their that's life that's why you signed up right people who risk their life like voluntarily just to help people without it being any form of their job. I get what he's saying. Like I do too. No, I understand what he's saying. I think it's just more of a reaction that the majority of us have and the majority of majority of us would, would do. Hopefully you hope so, right? That your first instinct is to help. I I have faith that it would be for most people. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's a, a, because most people, it's just a genuine human reaction. It is. It is a genuine human reaction. You're right. And um, it, yeah, people have a very immediate visceral response to people in. And not to say that people need. that don't wind up do, are whatever. No, 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 I'm no, just no saying. not at all. Yes, uh huh. For any number, people of just reasons. regular people springing into action. I I think is almost an expectation as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And speaking of the fire department, very quickly after the fire started, a telephone call was placed to the fire alarm operator. They, the way this worked at the time is that he would ascertain the location of the fire from the caller and then notify the nearest fire companies by telegraph. Here in, here in the States at this time, a telephone alarm was called a still alarm, and a call that came in by fire alarm box was called a box alarm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. These terms and apparently are... they were quicker than they are today. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've learned that, right? Talk about an inverse of technology. <laughs> These terms are still in use in some places. In my department, a box alarm was a fire or rescue, and a still alarm was everything else. Oh, like uh, EMS. Sure, of... yeah. Because a lot of times the fire departments and Has to rescue, show up for that too. fire rescue, yeah. yeah. When en route to a box alarm, if the dispatcher came on the air and said, quote, fire alarm is confirming stills, end quote, that meant they were getting multiple calls and that it was a legit fire since the term still means phone. So multiple calls, they're getting multiple calls. Mm-hmm. However, I'm not sure what the terms they would have used in Paris during this era were, but the dispatch system itself would have been the same. 11 fire companies were sent in on the initial alarm. Wow. The nearest station was across the River Seine, but there was a bridge close by, and they arrived on scene in a very short time. Oh, okay. Based on the timeline that I have been able to cobble together, it appears as though they were there around three minutes after the fire started and within two minutes of being alerted. Wow. That's, that is a quick response yes. time in 1897. Jeez. When the bells thanks, rang... Thanks, Napoleon. <laughs> When the bells rang in the station, the stall doors opened immediately. As they were trained to do, the horses came out on their own, oh, and backed into their places in front of their trucks as firefighters came sliding down brass poles from the second floor. That's crazy. Trained animals. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. The the horses, I mean. The amount of training that goes into that, though, that's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, um, (laughs) At least we didn't have to depend on cats. We couldn't train them to do it anyway. (laughs) No, they would have ran away. Right? They're like, it's a fire, get away. (laughs) <laughs> We've got both sleeping boys here mm-hmm. with us today. Fortunately, because Jesse was hissing at Demetrius earlier mm-hmm. for no good reason. He was, he's just in a mood. Oh, the cats distracted me from my place. Uh, uh, sliding down the brass poles. Okay. The firefighters would have buckled leather belts around their waist, which held an axe and a scab- in a scabbard and scabbard? Uh, like a long pole. In a, a scabbard. An axe in a scabbard. Oh, I thought you said and. No. Oh, in, I don't know. Like a sheath, I guess. And donned the brass helmets that were in use in European departments at the time. I'll take my old leather Cairns New Yorker helmet any day. Leather forever. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means, but it's cute. It's very Lee again. A yank of a rope caused the harness to drop down into place where they had a quick attach system so they could be ready to go in seconds. As the firefighters climbed onto their places on the trucks, the horses pawed at the ground and snorted with excitement. They, just like the firefighters, loved racing through the streets to an alarm. The horses lived for these moments. It was in their blood. Check out the film. Hold on. I have a slight correction to this. Damn it. Where did I put? Oh, there we go. (laughs) Uh, Check out the Edwin Porter film, Life of an American Fireman. 1903 oh. on YouTube and you can see how this process worked. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Let's check that out. Yeah. Yes, it was filmed here versus in France, but the system works the same. 
I've met firefighters from every American state and over a dozen countries, and even today, though our terminology may vary and our equipment may not look the same, we have the same departmental culture and bond of kinship, which transcends nationality. Yeah, I can see that. Same nature of the, of the job. <laughs> it's like, I bet I would find solidarity with French accountants, too. <laughs> but they'd be like, man, your tax system's really fucked up. Yeah, I'd be like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> The firefighters responding from the nearest station would have been would have been able to see a column of dense black smoke as soon as they got through the station doors. We call this a no doubter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you see a giant column mm-hmm. of smoke. Though they would not have known the specific location of the call, just the intersection, they would have realized that the smoke was coming from the direction of the bazaar. I'm sure a few of them crossed themselves and said a silent prayer that anything but the bazaar be their d- destination. You go through a certain mental checklist when you're on your way to a fire that is no different than it was back then. As a company officer in charge of an engine on the way to a heavy box, which is what we call the commercial fire, what might be stored inside, if there were victims, what, where might they be, and what resources would, we would need upon arrival. At the risk of sounding like an old fart, today this fire service is kind of spoiled. There are computers in the fire trucks that map your route for you, show you all the call notes, provide your hydrant locations, and in some departments, you can even pull up the fire inspection records of your the building you were dispatched to. We didn't have any of that shit when I started. As part of your probationary well, it's good they test, have it now. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, yeah. again, seconds matter. Mm-hmm. Where are we going to hook up? What, what right. history does this building have with being on fire? Mm-hmm. Where is the fire? And I don't think Lee has a problem with it. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what? A, I mean, just we're talking about not even a full generation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's this huge difference. Yep. As part of your probationary tests, you had to fill out a map of your first due area and write in all of the street names, the block numbers, mark the location of any major businesses, sure. and note the hydrants. Absolutely. My grandpa had like an encyclopedic knowledge mm-hmm. of his district in Miami. Like when they say in the movies and stuff, they're like, oh, I'm on the northwest corner. I'm like, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Like your orientation? Yeah. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. but they, they memorize it. But they just know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine cops worked the same. Oh, yeah. Too. Yeah. And when en route to a call, you had nothing but the address, your memory, and a little basic info provided by dispatch to help you. That's not much different than it was in 1897. Yeah. And except with horses. Right. Yeah. (laughs) As the first fire engines neared the scene, they were slowed by the massive crowd of people gathered outside the building. When you arrive on the scene of any structure fire, you have two basic priorities. Preservation of life, preservation of property. In that order, I'm sure. And, oh, and they go in that order. <laughs> okay. Well, remember the huge structure fire we had here about five years ago oh, in, in Ra- downtown? downtown Raleigh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I don't, I don't think any... I think there were only a couple of injuries, but I don't think anybody died. I don't think so. There was massive property damage. Oh, yeah. But, like people's houses and, or apartments. It was a big, mm-hmm. big building, yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily, that had not even been close to being finished yet, but... Yeah, that's right. There was a lot of construction going on. Mm-hmm. That was that was what caused it. It was a falling crane or something, Something right? like that. I, I, oh, my goodness. Crane? Yeah, I don't even I don't remember. Know. But yeah, look up a uh, Raleigh structure fire. I think that was 2016 or 17. I was gonna say at least three or four years ago. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty intense because it's it's about an eight story building that catches on fire. Like yeah. the whole thing catches on fire. And people like across the street were taking video yep. and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
with the to- with the number of victims jammed with the number of victims jammed against the front door the firefighters aided by civilians grabbed tools off the truck and went to work trying to breach the walls to gain sure. access wow sure their number one goal was to get people out nothing is more frustrating for a firefighter than to know that you have victims trapped but you are unable to get to them oh no oh, kidding no. i said no The worst night of my life involved a call where we had two children trapped in a house fire. My company got there first and went in to try and get them. Owing to the layout and the location of the fire, that proved to be impossible, though we tried. With a survivability factor of zero and conditions rapidly deteriorating, as the officer, I had to make the decision to back my crew out. Yeah, it was the right decision, but that didn't make it easier. That call permanently changed me inside. I have not been the same since. And I still fight that fire in my sleep three or four nights a week. So believe me when I say that these Parisian firefighters would have been incredibly frustrated at their inability to gain access to the building. And as they worked, they were surrounded by people exhorting them to get their loved ones out, which you would have added only further to the frustration and indeed shame. If it is your job to rescue people and you are in a situation where you can't, it is quite natural to feel shame over the helplessness you felt. Uh, I would never want any part of making that decision. I know. Like he said, it completely the right decision because he would have started to put his own people in danger. Yeah. But what what sucks is the situation even being there to... He's making the calculation that the casualty is going to be four or are they going to be two? Are we going to kill ourselves to rescue someone who can't be rescued? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, that's... No, thanks. And th- there's no good... Mm. So I really do appreciate Lee sharing his personal yeah. experiences, because that sounds massively traumatic. And I know that he also struggles with um, physical effects from sure. his... An inju- uh, like, some pretty it's bad... Physical job. Yes, and with it's physically a high, and mentally demanding yep, job, with a high risk of injury, and that's what's happened. And um, it was just a little Lee appreciation corner. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we, are, we are very, very proud to have him in our group. Yes. <laughs> so the street was filled with injured victims, many of them hideously burned. Today, most career departments require their fighter firefighters to be trained in emergency medicine sure. to at least the EMT level. Yeah. yeah. Though some departments require their personnel to be paramedic certified. You know, that's some, not something that I have a huge amount of knowledge of, like paramedic versus EMT. I probably would have used those terms Together. interchangeably, but it sounds like they're two separate things. Like there's EMT and then like I a, think, uh, the next level is paramedic. I, I was going to say, I think the EMTs are the bridge to the paramedics. Mm. Like, the EMTs arrive on the scene. Like, first aid, kind of like immediate, right. sort of. Paramedics get there next, and they're like, okay, this is this is what we got, this is what you need to do, I guess. I'm sure we'll hear comments yeah, about sure the will. difference. But I'm, I, never, I guess I never really realized that there was a difference either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have used the terms interchangeably, but mm-hmm. I guess I know better now. Um, I wonder if, like, paramedics can do things like IVs and shots and stuff, whereas EMTs are not able to or something? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Yeah. Both are both are crucial. <laughs> yes. Uh, very much so. Yeah. I have a funny story about that, but I won't tell it here. I'll post it on the All Bad Things Facebook group. So yet another reason to join our Facebook group. Lee is a frequent poster. 
This is a relatively recent phenomenon, though, of um, firefighters being trained as EMTs and or paramedics. Well into the 1960s, you still had funeral homes running at the ambulances. Jeez. Really? In large parts of the United States, which always struck me as a bit of a conflict of interest. No shit, right? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but it would not be appropriate, I don't think. It would be in horrible taste? It would be. Okay. So I'm going to refrain. I think everybody's thinking the same thing, though. <laughs> Way to give the funeral home like a like a leg up on the industry. <laughs> you guys send the ambulances. Well, no, no, don't go yet. Not yet. Here you go. Well, but you know what's really funny? Is I feel like this adequately describes like lobbying in Congress. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. It is, it, as though the funeral directors are the ones directing the ambulance. I don't know. I, I am not implying that funeral directors wish ill on people. I'm just saying, you know, like, conceptually. Mm. The idea of having people with spe- specific training in emergency medicine came about as part of the Vietnam War and was spurred on by the television drama Emergency. Hmm. I have heard of that show. I've heard of it. I've never seen I it. I think we might have mentioned it at some point. Yeah? I think we have. I'm n- I've not seen Emergency. I don't think I saw any, like, vintage... Medical dramas, just Quincy, and that was a coroner, mm-hmm. specifically. But they did talk about, you know what was funny? In Quincy, they very specifically had an episode about trauma centers as being, like, the next wave of um, emergency medicine. It Because there was a whole plot line about how they... Well, little did they know the AIDS crisis was about to happen. That's true. Quincy <laughs> so, never so, mentioned the AIDS crisis that I'm aware of. Yeah. Because I think it it took hold, like, after the show was done. Probably, yeah, to an extent that was understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That series is emergency, not Quincy, is also why they started teaching CPR to the general public, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I took CPR in high school. Yeah, Yeah. I I did too, but I I took CPR in homeschool because my grandpa had the fucking (laughs) Recessa Annie thing and was... You sent me a picture of Recessa Annie. Yes, it's still in the storage unit in Miami. Yes, it is. All you need to do is put, you just need to put it at the very front of the storage unit. No one will ever steal from it. No, no, as soon as they open the door, that's the first thing they see. (laughs) I took a, I took a, I would have done that on purpose. (laughs) I'm sure you would have. I took a CPR first aid course, um, Before I got laid off, so it was probably like three or four, well, at this point, like four years ago, and they had sort of a recessa Annie, but it was a lot more lightweight and abstract. It's basically a torso, like meant to be like a human torso, because you need to get sort of the idea Mm -hmm. of how hard you have to press and everything for chest compressions. Um, But it was much more abstract. Recessa Annie was big, clunky, had like skin. (laughs) And a very weird face, vacant face. Yeah, Recessa Annie is... Is kind of the stuff of nightmares, but... Thank God we've come along from Recessa Annie. (laughs) Yes. In 1966, a federal study listed trauma as the number one cause of death of Americans younger than 37. And said that lack of comprehensive pre-hospital emergency care was our greatest health crisis. Wow. The study correctly noted that you had a better chance of survival if you were shot in combat in Vietnam than on an American street. This led to the creation of... Yeah, because, of, I mean, Viet, sadly... Well, they Vietnam, had medics. There's, well, there's, and there's people right there. Right. Mm-hmm. 
But that, oh God. This led to the creation of paramedic programs in the U.S., and by the late 1970s, fire departments were jumping into the EMS world. Or, or in other words, like a step towards communism. <laughs> <laughs> Providing a public health safety plan for your citizens is... You're right. You know what? Let's yeah. privatize it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. What could John- go wrong? Johnson and Johnson should have been... <laughs> I shouldn't say that in case they're listening. Jesus Christ. I'm sure they've been trying for a long time. Anyway, in the 19... Sorry, in the 1890s, firefighters did not routinely receive any first aid training and thus they could do little for the victims outside, especially where the people... When there were still people trapped inside. Yeah, that's true. The triage of that... You also also have to think, because all of the doors are opening inward... Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's the main reason people are trapped inside. Right. They're They're getting crushed against. But they're having to dig and pick at the building itself, which is probably going to hit people or harm. Mm. But they've just, they've got to get in. If people are going to die, if they don't do anything, they have to do something. Right. That's, yeah. And uh, I'm picturing like what this looks like. I know. It's not good. Yeah. I don't like it. It was a scene of sheer pandemonium. One witness said, quote, Within a short half hour, I witnessed scenes of grief and despair, which it is impossible to describe. One lady rushed about frantically asking for her daughter, and someone having told her that she was safe, the inquirer jumped, danced, and screamed, and after rushing to her coachman and telling him to drive her home, fell down in a dead swoon, end quote. People screamed and shouted for loved ones. Others wandered around in circles, seemingly driven mad by the scope of the disaster. Yeah, in shock, right? Above it all, you can hear the sounds of those inside. All of this, all of a sudden, the entire roof structure collapsed. Oh, Jesus. So this is like three disasters in one. It's a fire, it's a crowd disaster, and a roof collapse. Mm -hmm. I mean, which was related to the fire, but still. And in an instant, all the voices inside the building go silent. An eerie quiet descends on the scene. This occurred around 10 minutes after ignition. It kicked up a shower of sparks, but some firefighters have been busy spraying water on the walls of the surrounding structures to prevent the radiant heat of the fire from causing them to ignite too. Mm -hmm. (coughs) You see them, they still use that that tactic today. The... Spray water on surrounding buildings so that they... To keep them from... Yes, keep mm -hmm. them from heating up themselves. Yeah. They quickly direct their efforts back to the remnants of the bazaar and spray water back and forth in an arc across the top of the flaming pile. It took a further 20 minutes to extinguish the blaze. 30 minutes total. That's all it took from spark to extinguishment. That's actually a really quick extinguishing. Oh, yeah. 30 minutes? That's... But that time would seem like an eternity if you were outside waiting for a long time. We've been recording for 43 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. The fire consumed everything. There was nothing left at the site to show what it what ha- it had been before. A reporter at the scene described it this way, quote, There was no masonry left standing, and there were none of the iron girders twisted by the heat, nor the half-burned oaken rafters, which usually characterized the debris of a great fire. So, like, just everything went out. Almost everything had been reduced to ashes, and even charred wood was rare. End quote. So just like a pile it's of cinders just, or yes. ashes, yeah. Looks like our fireplace. Yeah. Oh. But a giant. Oh. 
In fact, the largest thing left standing was the charred pile of corpses behind oh, the spot Jesus. where the front door had been, burned almost beyond recognition with many of them fused together by the heat. Yeah, that that is really disturbing, the fact that human bodies can become fused when they're burned. What should have been a fun day has now been turned into a scene of absolute horror, and it isn't over yet. 126 people were known to have died that day with n- with a further 200 estimated to have been injured. However, some of the injured would also have died and they are not all included with the 126. Sure. With such a severe fast-burning fire as this, many of the bodies were burned beyond recognition. Some were identified simply by the color of an unburned bit of clothing and others by jewelry that survived the heat. Since most of the victims were from the upper crust of society, a few victims were even identified by the way of dental records, which is a landmark in the history of forensic dentistry. Oh, that's interesting. Can you imagine having a loved one missing after the fire and having to walk along a line of burned bodies to see if they were there? The whole time praying that you would find them, but also praying that you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of the, um, oh, was it Ibrox or... We've done so many, so many disasters. One of our relatively recent crowd disasters, like someone, I think it was Ibrox, identified what they thought was their, the person they thought was their son, and then went home and their son had just arrived Yeah, it was Ibrox. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. All right. So the aftermath regarding the injured. Most of the injured had suffered burns of varying degrees of severity. Burns are one of the worst traumas. Well, there we go. Mm -hmm. That the body can go through mainly because it robs us of our biggest protective barrier, our skin. Mm -hmm. The body's largest organ, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but infection happens very easily. Oh, yes. With burn victims. Oh, yes. Because that's what's protecting you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is never a good time to get burned, but you definitely would not have wanted to suffer serious burn injuries in the late 1890s. While it is true that medicine made great advances during the 19th century, the treatment of burns really didn't advance much until the outbreak of World War One. Hmm. That makes sense. Yes, it does. And the biggest advancements in burn care came after the war with the discovery of penicillin, mm-hmm. followed by the outbreak of World War Two. The three biggest dangers for a person with serious burn in, burns are infection, respiratory failure, and shock. Mm-hmm. Generally, when a burn victim dies in the hospital, it is from one of these three. With the removal of the skin barrier, burn victims can quickly develop sepsis, which is the leading cause of death in burn patients. Respiratory failure can come about from inhaling superheated fire gases, which cause Jesus. the airway to swell shut. Oh my God. Also, those gases, upon reaching the lungs, can cause pulmonary edema. Burn victims will often go into shock due to the trauma to the body. The body's just like, I'm sorry. No. I didn't sign up for this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm shutting down. This can cause the blood pressure to plummet and can lead to organ failure. Even today, just because we have burn centers with spe- which specialize in treating this... Patients still die. Sure. Four to five percent of all burn victims in the U.S. die. And those percentages increase dramatically as the percentage of the body burns. Sure. Burns. Burned increases. Basically, if you're an adult with burns on 70 percent of your body, you'll have a 30 percent chance of survival. God. 
That's grim. That decreases if you also suffered inhalation burns. And Which sad- you most likely did. Right? Like, how do you get away from that? Yeah. And sadly, children are quite often the victims. 25% of all vi- burn victims are younger than 16, with the majority being younger than 5. Jesus. If you want to see some true heroes, go visit a children's burn ward. It'll give you some perspective on life. Burns are horrifically painful, even with modern painkillers. Yet you'll see these kids, many of whom will be permanently disfigured by their scars, smiling, laughing, or, if they feel up to it, even racing down the hallways with their IV poles. They and the doctors and nurses that treat them are my heroes. Mm. Most of the victims of the Bazaar de la Charité fire were brought to local hospitals by way of private conveyances, wagons, carriages, etc., if I had to pick a city in which to be badly injured in 1897, my choices would be Paris or Berlin. French doctors had long been pioneers in treatments of all sorts of ailments and injuries, as had their German counterparts. In the excuse me, second beer. Second beer. <laughs> in the post nine, this is this is like a six beer uh, topic. Six. So I feel pretty good at just being at the beginning of my second. In the post-9-11 world, hospitals practicing mass casualty drills to prepare them for if the unthinkable happens... Wait. To prepare them for... Oh, uh, mm-hmm. hospitals practice mass casualty drills to prepare them mm-hmm. for if the unthinkable happens in their communities. That was not the case in the 1890s. Local hospitals were suddenly confronted with dozens of bleeding, burned, and screaming patients being brought through their doors... And they would not have had specific protocols to activate in order to cope. However, triage itself was a thing in the 19th century. That's good. In fact, the modern triage system comes from a French surgeon. And the word is also of a French origin. Yeah, triage. On the battlefields of the ah, Napoleonic Wars, you mentioned Napoleon before, surgeon Dominique Jean Leray began to focus on assessing injuries based on severity, engaging the survivability to determine the order Mm -hmm. of treatment. Further refined on the battlefields of the Crimean War, the American Civil War, and the Franco-Prussian War, this system, with a few modifications, is still in use in emergency rooms everywhere. The categories today are a little different than what they had in the 1890s, but the basic system is the same. Yeah, the the logic still holds Mm -hmm. for it. Who's got the best chance? Who should we focus on first? Right. That's yeah. essentially what it comes down to. When you get into situations of survival, it gets really nitty gritty really quick. It does. A lot of black and white. Mm-hmm. A lot of judgment calls, which is rough. Doctors in Parisian hospitals, which received large numbers of victims of the fire, would have placed them into four groups. First, there were those that were already dead. Second came the victims who, no matter what, would still die. Third were the critical cases that immediate intervention would give us a chance of survival to. And fourth, we have the non-critical or walking wounded cases. This differs a little from how we divide patients today. Hospitals would not have had enough morphine immediately on hand to deal with this many injuries, especially burns. They would have, uh, this would have caused them to go into conservation mode. They would have had two options. One would have been to give it to those in the second category to make them comfortable. However, they most likely would not have done that, leaving those individuals, if conscious, to die in indescribable pain. They would conserve the morphine to give to patients in the third category. Those in the fourth category wouldn't have gotten any either, despite the pain of their injuries. That fucking sucks. 
Yeah. I get the logic and I don't disagree with it, but I have a major, major, I don't know what it is, but I've just always been super adamant that I just feel like at the moment of death, people should be not afraid and not in pain. Like that's just, that's what I wish for every human. Sure. Literally. Cause that's just <clears throat> the thing that will unite us all is the fact that we will all go through death. And I just wish for it to be as peaceful as possible for every one of us. That got really dark. Let me continue. <laughs> Our episodes have a tendency to do that. Just a little. <laughs> Why are your young children listening? I don't know. M- call the FCC. Most of these injuries were burns. So what they could, what could they do for that back in the day? Not a whole lot. Still, certain things advanced in the 19th century. In 1884, Dr. Scherning sure. published a study on burn surface area and mortality. He wrote that an individual burned over two-thirds of the body would definitely die. You should expect a patient burned over 50% of the body to die, and a patient burned over a third of the body would usually die. He's like, wow, that's... definitely, probably, usually. That's very specific. Though it has obviously been updated, doctors still assess the burn surface area along with age to determine the likelihood of a patient surviving their burns. In the mid-19th century, French doctor Guillaume Dupuytren, okay, building upon the work of prior doctors, came up with a classification system that divided burns into six categories. Oh, this is like the degrees. This is still in use in some areas. The more, more commonly we hear the simplified three-category system. First degree, mm-hmm. second degree, third degree. By the late 1890s, you had already seen some pioneering work as it related to surgery and burn victims. They understood, for example, the problem posed by inhalation injuries in burn patients. There had even been work done on skin grafts. Oh, I would not have expected that at this point. No. And surgeons could excise burned skin with sterilized instruments, thanks to Joseph Lister, with the possibility of survival. So... This information comes from Grey's Anatomy, so take that with a grain of salt. But uh, they certainly depicted the debridement of burns to be, like, one of the most painful things a person could experience. Sure. And I can imagine, yeah. Mm. However, this did not meet the immediate needs of burn victims. For example, a person with severe burns has massive fluid loss, which can quickly overwhelm the body, thus the need for rapid fluid replacement. Mm -hmm. That was not understood in the 19th century. There was also a debate at the time, not settled until World War I, as to whether or not burns should be cooled in water or left to cool on their own. Furthermore, the medical community could not agree as to whether or not burns should be wrapped in a moist dressing or dry, sterile dressing. And with the biggest risk being infection, they had no antibiotics with which to treat it. Yeah. What this meant for the Bazaar de la Charité victims is that their treatments varied widely from hospital to hospital. It's basically all experimental. Mm -hmm. And even within the same hospital among different doctors. Many of these victims would die, but how many is unknown since the death count does not include all of them? Oh, man. So we don't even know the real death count. I say all this not to criticize the doctors because you cannot criticize them for scientific knowledge that did not exist at the time. I'm sure they did the best they could under the circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, every disaster, whether natural or man-made, has hidden victims as well. 
The mental health aspect of disasters is often left out of the broader narrative. With historic disasters, that is because mental health awareness was vastly different or non-existent in those times as compared with now. However, it stands to reason that many, but by no means all, of the victims, survivors, witnesses, and rescuers would have developed certain issues in the aftermath that might be masked by other things. For example, a firefighter who chopped in vain at the wall trying to free the people trapped and screaming behind it but was able to reach them in time might turn to alcohol or opiates, which were freely available back then, as a coping mechanism, thus leading to, perhaps, behavioral issues that might get him into difficulty with his superiors. A woman who survived the fire unharmed might have, but maybe lost a relative might develop survivor's guilt. Others might suffer panic attacks when they caught a whiff of smoke or heard the clanging bell of a fire engine. In some cases, this may not manifest until months or even years after the fire. Yes, I know that there weren't really diagnostic criteria back then like we have today, and many conditions were unknown entirely. However, if you look at statistics involving mental health and major disasters in our modern era, there is no reason to think that it would have been different for them back then. That's very true. Mm -hmm. Just perceived differently or not perceived at all. Officially, 126 people died in the fire. Each one is a separate tragedy. The Wikipedia page has a partial list of the deceased. Again, since many of them were upper-class women, there is quite a lot known about the backgrounds of some of them. I would like to single out two deaths here, not because they are any more tragic than any of the others, but because these are two that stand out to me. Sophie Charlotte of Bavaria, Duchess of Elsernon, was the daughter of the Duke of Bavaria. She was a duchess in her own right before she married the Duke of Elsernon. On the day of the fire, Duchess Sophie remained behind insisting that those working for her be rescued first. Hmm. They survived, but her body was so badly burned that her own maid could not recognize her. She became one of the victims identified by dental records. Incidentally, her sister, the famous Empress Sisi of Austria, was assassinated one year after Sophie's death. Baroness Therese... Therese Donon was herself pulled from the building, but believing that her niece was still inside, she fought her way back into the inferno Mm. and was killed. Unbeknownst to her, the niece had already made it outside before Baroness Donon re-entered the building. I know that we all listen to disaster podcasts for different reasons, but I truly believe that having podcasts which discuss disasters is a way to honor the victims of all disasters, whether their names are known or not. I agree. agree. Absolutely. So now on to the trial. There's an old saying in journalism. You can, uh, we'll do a call and response. If it bleeds. It leads. There you go. (laughs) I'm just making an interactive. (laughs) (laughs) I just wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Disasters, particularly disasters that kill wealthy white people, are fodder for newspapers. This fire was extensively covered both in France and abroad. A cry, uh, an outcry rose up from the citizens of Paris to punish someone, anyone for the fire, even if the ignition was technically an accident. Ultimately, three men would face charges for, to use a more modern term, negligent homicide. Sure. The first was Baron Macau, the the chairman of the Bazaar Committee. The other two were the cinematographer operator, Balak, and his assistant, Bagratow. 
The disaster in the trial quickly became politicized. Shocking, I know. <laughs> Imagine a natural disaster being used for political purposes. I'm so glad that never happens in the United States. <laughs> and he said, only yes, every, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, only every day. <laughs> well, and also Lee having Louisiana ties. I think he, he knows a thing or two about yeah. a major disaster being used politically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no shit. Mm. Liberals wanted to blame the Baron since he was an aristocrat and a conservative. His supporters said that he was being singled out and blamed strictly because of his social rank and status. All were fa oh, found guilty to various degrees, but thanks to an 1891 law, they qualified as accidental offenders and thus they saw no jail or prison time. So it was basically a theater. I was just going to say it sounds like more of a show trial. Yeah. 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 The inquests also listed multiple reasons as to why the loss of life were so high, and these will be painfully familiar to all the ABT listeners as we've heard them all before. Unmarked exits, inward swinging doors, the combustible materials inside, particularly the tar-covered canvas. Also, the report indicated the fire department had an inadequate supply of water from the hydrants in the area. I find this interesting because the River Seine was literally right, right there, there. <laughs> and they could have drafted from it. So I can only surmise that perhaps at the time they did not carry suction equipment to utilize the river if needed, but I'm not positive that. I feel like Lee's done a great job filling in the blanks historically yes. here. Oh, yeah. So such suction technology did exist at the time, but maybe they just didn't use it. Uh, I've drafted water from a swimming pool, for example, but thanks to the homeowner, we later returned and refilled it from out of the tank. Oh, no. As a homeowner, like, you're not going to go complaining to the fire department that they used your water. I think it was more of a gesture on their part. That's what it sounded like. Like, we just... Uh, oh, maybe. Like, maybe it was out of goodwill, yeah. Like, we needed it at the time. Like, we'll, no, we're bringing it back. We'll get it back to you. <laughs> I would have been like, no, thank you, keep it. That's good. That's fine. Well, I'll consider it my contribution. Remember in the previous episode when I told you to remember the number 937,000? Yes. The number of francs raised at the previous year's bazaar? In 1897, obviously no money was raised. An anonymous benefactor donated 937,000 francs to the charities who would have benefited, benefited had the 1897 event not been tragically cut short. Hmm. Conclusion. If you decide to watch Bonfire of Destiny on Netflix, I want to warn you that almost the whole first hour involves the fire with the subsequent episodes dealing with the aftermath. They did an amazing job recreating what it's like inside a fire, except that visibility is nowhere near as good as it is in the show. Well, yeah. sure. <clears throat> but they have to do that for viewing, yeah. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a visual You're, you're not going to put on a, a major production and all you can see is smoke. Hmm? <laughs> Even though that would be more accurate. It would be. <clears throat> it wouldn't be good storytelling. Yeah. It even has a great recreation of the rollover phenomenon. However, it could be quite distressing to some with fire-related trauma. And even me, who has been in hundreds of fires, had a bit of reaction while watching it. I was in the hospital, remember, and was hooked up to... That's right. It was hooked up to all sorts of monitors. My heart rate and blood pressure <sighs> shot up. Bless you. <sighs> Oh, just keep talking. That's all right. Don't, don't, don't isolate my sneeze, please. <laughs> um, and a bunch of alarms started beeping. Next thing I know, the nurses come running in. Luckily, they stayed to talk to me for a while. Just don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that was coming. 
There is one scene in the first episode that really struck me. Right before the firefighters make entry into the building, the department officer, standing at the nozzle of the hose, looks back over his shoulder at his men. I've seen that same expression on the face of my officers before we went into a really bad one, and I've given that same look when I was in that position myself. It's a look that says, we may not come out of this one, but whatever happens, it happens to all of us. As I wrote these episodes, I pulled up that scene on TV and snapped a photo, which I will include with the episode material. Ooh, we still have pictures to look at. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, we have reached the end of the long and convoluted tale of the Bazaar de la Charité. It's actually a pretty straightforward story, but any story I tell quickly becomes convoluted. Thank you, Lee, because we got a whole extra episode out of it. <laughs> As I noted in my script for the Carlsist fire, I'm Irish and thus am genetically incapable of making a long story short. <laughs> For those of you who have hung around until the end, I will leave you with this. Always know your exits. If you make it out of a burning building, for the love of God, stay out. And if you ever walk into a nightclub that feels like it's too crowded, it probably is. Leave and find somewhere else to drop it like it's hot. With best wishes to you all, Lee Hutch. P.S. Her Imperial Highness Grand Duchess Anastasia Queen Hutchinson's, Hutchinson sends her love. Uh, right now he's the sleeper, yes. He is the sleeper, yes, mm-hmm. with his cute little arm all laid out. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't... <clears throat> is there anything else? The pronunciation. Oh, I, I meant the actual up, but story. For the story, no. Yes. <clears throat> no, that's, that, uh, that's excellent as always. Of course. So let's look at the and pictures. That story was... Horrid, Jesus. of course. Oh, this is like a, a newspaper cover or magazine cover. Sure. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, the fire department. Parisian fire department with all the horsies. Oh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool, actually. This must be so fun, everybody listening to us look at pictures. Yeah, it is, I'm um, sure. The plan of the... Oh, yes. The actual... Mm-hmm. Where Where is the right fire? Over there? Yes. Okay. All right. This is the look that Lee was talking about in the show. Yeah. The... Yeah. Like we about to do this? Yep. Like whatever happens, uh, so be it. Another plan. I've completely forgotten. Oh, this is the the one lady he was talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the interior. That is tiny. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's very enclosed. I mean, I, I the look of it is really cool. I I see what they right. were getting at, but man, yeah, everything is too enclosed. And, and with the number of people they had in there, mm-hmm. that, that's a lot. All right, so here's a um, here's a here's a fun thing. I'm I'm I think you were right to um, save this to the end because we can have fun with some pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So uh, our, our, uh, I don't even know what the what the accent would be called, but this is uh, Lee's pronunciation. Well, he guide. has a whole intro. So okay. Uh, Lee said, "Sorry, can't really help you much with the French words, so I'm giving you a different pronunciation guide." As you know, I've referenced my YAT accent, which is a dialect that is originated in the Irish and Italian working class neighborhoods in New Orleans, or Nolans. This is why it sounds similar to a Brooklyn accent, especially to the uninitiated ear. I didn't know that. As I've lived behind enemy lines in Texas for years now, it has faded some. However, owing to the fact that I've barely left my house or talked to anyone apart from my wife since March 2019, I've discovered that it has come back full force. Truthfully, I have a bit of a complex about it since at all three colleges where I've taught, I've been told that I sound 
uneducated by other faculty, so I've tried to tone it down. Oh, fuck them. Yeah, exactly. Fuck them. Fuck a boot, find out. That's right. 2020 has taught me to say fuck that and embrace who I am. Damn straight. So I'm giving you a yap pronunciation guide so that you can try, if you dare, to read my my script with a native accent. Sorry, we already didn't do that but. i did i did try to do this in my own mind before we did the first episode yeah. and i'm like I'm it's not a ver- lot i'm not very good at accents and it's a lot but i but it could be fun for us to sure so whereas a bostonian might say pack the cat have a yad i did pretty good at that right yes, what, what's your version of that do it no yes please <laughs> i just did it pack the cat have yad there we go <laughs> i come yeah. from more of a jfk bent <laughs> yeah you did <laughs> I came up from a Tom Brady's greatest quarterback of all time, sort of. No, now I'm going. We will go. We will go to the moon. We will do that and the other thing. And the other thing. (laughs) All right. This statement in yat would be. It would sound like. Pak yo cow and howled yowd. Yeah. See, that's where that's where I completely got lost. Pak yo cow and howled yowd. I was like, I'm not gonna try. No. I just did. Uh, I I tried it in my mind before. I'll get I'll get one, maybe. The th sound is pronounced as d, as in, who dat say they gonna beat them saints? Saints. Yeah. (laughs) Who dat? Oh, that's why I say who dat. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. This is also true if the th is in the middle of the word. So mother is mudda, brother is brother. Hello mudda. Hello fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. <laughs> That's from Wacky Favorites. I'll bet it is. <laughs> okay. There are some ex- exceptions where the TH may be pronounced as an F. Oh, that's fun. We do not pronounce the that's, R. That's, that's English. Like TH and Oh, uh, like fru. fru. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true in, in parts mm-hmm. of England, I think. Yes. It's, it's like... Or the UK. What she went through. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am laughing at myself, by the way, not at people who speak like this. This is my laughing at my own I'm laughing at version. You. Okay, that's fair. We do not pronounce the R at the end of a word. Thus, in yet, these words will usually end with an ah or ah or uh sound. So water is so I guess that's water. Where it comes from. Yeah, right? Car is car. Banner is banner. For some words, an E-R or I-R in the middle of the word is pronounced with an oi sound. So birthday is boyf day. <laughs> boyf day. <laughs> that does sound very sort of like old school mm. Brooklyn, right? Person is poison. <laughs> oh, yeah, you some sort of wise poison. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like old, old, like the movie gangsters. To me, it sounded like Rosie Perez. (laughs) (laughs) Words that include an O R will drop the R and become O, as in po for poor, like a po boy sandwich. As is usually the case when dealing with languages, there are exceptions to every rule. Given how connected the world has become since Al Gore invented the internet, you won't find as many hardcore yat speakers anymore. Most now have a soft yat that isn't quite as distinct. Now let's move on to some specific words that might appear in the script. So fire. Fire. (laughs) Is either fi with a long I sound. 
Um, or is it fire? Fair. 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 Fi a fair. We got, um, we got a lot to get through. Oh, we do. Department is department. That does sound like Brooklyn. It does. Department. Yes. <clears throat> fire department. Fear fire, department. Fire department. Fear department. Fire department. Fear fear department. <laughs> fire fire department. On to the next. Or fire fire department. <laughs> police is the police. Yes. Uh, New Orleans is New Orleans. It New is Orleans. not Nolans or New Orleans. New Orleans. It's New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, buffet is buffet. Like, wasn't that like Phoebe, Phoebe buffet? Yes. <laughs> ambulance is ambulance or ambulance. 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 I, I like that one. Or is all. Oh. As in eat all. Eat all. Eat all. It's kind of fun. Army is the army. Army. Art is art. Ask is axed. People say that mm-hmm. here too. That's mm-hmm. a, kind of a southern thing. Burns is boins. Boins. <laughs> boins. Uh, business is business. Business. Yep. Or binus. I think that's business. No, it's, it's yep. business. Children is cheering. Ch- cheering. Cheering. Yep. Uh, continue. Continue. There you go. Culture. I keep going. Culture. I see. You do, you're not. You realize I was tricking you into saying them. <laughs> yeah. uh, dark is. <laughs> That's dark. Dark. Yeah. Uh, daughter. Da. Daughter. Dirt. Doit. <laughs> Doesn't. Done. Uh, so now, now I'll stop looking at the page. Okay. Now, yeah. Enter is enter. Fear is fear. Found is found. Uh, garden found out. Found out. Garden is garden. Have to is have to. Her is huh. Historic historical historical historical. Um, I'm I swear I am not attempting to be um offensive. I'm just wanting people <laughs> to know that I'm just I'm just reading as I'm told. Uh, interrupt, interrupt. Journal journal. Lord, Lord. Oh, probably the other way around. <laughs> yeah, so I was Lord. just gonna say. Yeah, that sounds that sounds the opposite. Little, little. I think I say low, low, low. More, mo or moa. Never, never. Number, number. Hour, hour. Point, point. <laughs> that's, <a, laughs> that's a good one. That took a left turn. Uh, river, river. Scar, scar. I got a nice skull on my face from the mm-hmm. dog bite. Um, science. 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 Certain. Certain. Well, science, is, is the way they say it's one syllable, not science. two. Science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Science. Science. <laughs> yes, yeah, so when you're taught to clap for syllables, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, suffer. Suffer. Theater. 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 I, I do know a couple of people or have known a couple of people who say theater. Yeah. yeah the Canadians like say that too. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Theater. Hmm. Turn is toying and world is whirl. Whirl. I'm glad we didn't try to say the whole scratch no. like that, to be fair. No. <laughs> but that was fun. That's a that's a fun way to forget that 129, uh, 26 people God, yeah. definitely died and more. Yeah, this episode was probably died. Not fun. No, but I appreciate what I love is that like with relatively little like 
information Lee fleshed out the rest based on mm. his extensive knowledge of not only history but firefighting so but i think i think it was more interesting that way because mm. he knows what it's like to deal with something like this absolutely which is not something the majority of us listening know how to deal with or us definitely I'd, so yeah it's gonna have not, a different I would, not, I would not like to know Yes, Demetrius agrees. Demetrius agrees. Are you saying hello to Anastasia Colleen? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a hello to his girlfriend, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Either that or he wants to get out. (laughs) It could be both. (laughs) All right, so, so, uh, wait, who says it? Well, it's it's me this time. Okay, yes. Yes. (laughs) I think we're done. Yes. You think we're done? (laughs) I I think we're done. We're done. I think we're done. I guess. I'm from Durham. <laughs> That's the thing. It's hard in looking at all these pronunciations not to like well, it rem- project Southern. But it reminded me of uh, like, you know, you'll hear people say the city of Durham as Durham. Like it's D-U-R-M. Anyway. One of the best North Carolina TikTokers to follow, by the way, is at the Xavier Sims. This kid is a freaking adorable and hilarious. Yeah. He's got to be like 17 or 18. That would be my guess. And he just is like, here's a list of the best the best high schools in North Carolina. <laughs> and he just lists high schools. It's so adorable. It's really funny, too. He's like the most deadpan. He is. But the stuff he says is really funny. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10 would recommend these Xavier Sims. These Xavier Sims. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to us, because you probably have more listeners than we do. <laughs> he gets more likes than we do. I'll tell you that. <laughs> So that was episode two of part part two. part two of the Bizarre de la Charité fire. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm <laughs> That's David. Demetrius. That's Demetrius. <laughs> I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. Right? What do you think? Now you're not even going to like the little Mary yeah. Tyler Moore cat. You won't. Silly cat. <laughs>